This is The Guardian. Today, the spectacular crash of crypto's biggest star. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. At his peak, Sam Bankman-Fried was the richest person in the world under 30. His cryptocurrency business was worth $32 billion. He lived in a penthouse in the Bahamas with all of his colleagues, who also happened to be his best friends. And he did it all in cargo shorts and in desperate need of a haircut. And even that, some people said, was just evidence he was a genius. In Washington, he was wined and dined by Republicans and Democrats, some of who just wanted his money. But they also wanted his advice on how to regulate the booming but baffling world of cryptocurrency. And then, a year ago, almost to the day, the music stopped. Breaking news overnight. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried arrested in the Bahamas, set to face a judge this morning. Bankman-Fried's business went into freefall, and his friends became witnesses for the prosecution. Last week, in a court in Manhattan, jurors took just four hours to decide that the collapse of his business wasn't just bad luck. It was the result of criminal deception. Behind the curtain, the judge said, Sam Bankman-Fried was not who he appeared to be. He was using his company, FTX, to commit fraud on a massive scale. Tonight, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, once celebrated as the golden boy of cryptocurrency, found guilty in his criminal fraud trial by a federal jury in Manhattan. Now, with billions of dollars of people's money still missing, Bankman-Fried is awaiting sentencing, facing potentially the rest of his life in prison. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, crypto on trial. The downfall of Sam Bankman-Fried. Blake Montgomery, you're the tech editor for Guardian US, and you've been following the trial of the former boy wonder of crypto, Sam Bankman-Fried. He founded a crypto empire and made billions of dollars in the process before it all came crashing down around him. What can you tell us about his personality and his rise? Yeah, so he was pretty nerdy. When you would see him in interviews, seemed pretty averse to whatever was going on. That was clearly at odds with how many interview requests he accepted and how often he was in the public eye. And I am here with Sam Bankman-Fried. And joining me now is Sam Bankman-Fried. He's the CEO of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX. How did you do this so quickly? I mean, your company is two years old. It was part of how he seemed publicly, was kind of just introverted, a little bit shy. He maintained a really carefully curated image that was part of the FTX brand. He would wear cargo shorts to events, ill-fitting t-shirts he rarely if ever cut his like large cloud of black hair you know honestly from our perspective it's it sometimes feels like the world is just going sort of in slow motion 
around us and that we're going at, you know, about an average speed by our standards. That sort of engineer too focused on the product to think about his appearance look was really important to the company. He clearly believed in his own decisions very strongly and believed that he would make the right one at any time. And I think a lot of people were taken in by that confidence. He was seen as one of the safest, most trusted people in crypto. FTX was an exchange that people felt very happy and kind of felt secure putting their money in. And tell me about his career. Where does he begin and how does he end up at the very top of the crypto world? So he founds FTX in 2019. And before that, he was a trader at a company called Jane Street, which is where he met a lot of the people that he would found the company with. And he said that he knew basically nothing about crypto when he started this company. He just knew that cryptocurrencies were, quote, things you could trade. And so clearly he was just interested in cool stuff that you could trade that probably didn't have a lot of regulation surrounding it. And he starts this company and it quickly just balloons into a multi-billion dollar business. Super Bowl ads. Yep. Naming yep. stadiums. Super Steph Curry. Stadium. Giselle Bunchen. We did a lot of things to try to, uh, to try and bolster our reputation, to try and, you know, help our brand. He's in touch with A-list celebrities and he moves the company to the Bahamas. And so how does he go from being a guy who doesn't really understand crypto, and I can sympathize, to being someone who's making billions of dollars off it? So at 25, he founds a hedge fund that's closely associated with FTX called Alameda Research. And at the same time, starts taking extremely acute advantage of the fact that Bitcoin is priced differently in different countries. They call him the JP Morgan of crypto, Right. Yeah, <laughs> the Michael Jordan of crypto. At the time, it just seemed like he was a really, really savvy investor and was in touch with the exact right people. And the business just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. It was eventually valued at $32 billion. That's incredible. $32 billion. And he wasn't even 30. No. And the woman who ran Alameda Research, his uh, now ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, she started working at that company when she was 23. All of these things were run by extremely young people. So tell me about the world the Bankman Freed built around him. So he was part of this really small, tight-knit cell that ran FTX together. They had known each other for years. They had met at early jobs in college, lived together, and... They were this bizarre admixture of friends, former roommates, lovers that all sat atop the leadership of FTX and ran it together and lived together and spent all their time together. And it just sounds like quite an intense group dynamic, so much so that it, we know, overwhelmed their own judgment at times and was detrimental to their business. I mean, that would be unhealthy if it was like a student share house. But it is insane when you consider that they were managing tens of billions of dollars and living this way. I mean, it just became this sort of soap opera style drama, like Bankman Freed and Caroline Ellison, who dated, would 
were on and off together and sometimes would break it off and not talk to each other even if they needed to for business. And she said it was all this whole time he was my boss, which created this bizarre dynamic when we were dating and she would want more from the relationship and he would think she wasn't doing well managing Alameda Research and that would get involved. And she said that he made her cry on multiple occasions because he would get angry about her business decisions, but they would also be romantically involved. What was motivating Sam? I mean, was he was he in it for the money? So it does seem like it. I mean, it's hard to deny that a $32 billion company and millions and millions of dollars is not attractive. Sam Bankman-Fried also subscribed to this philosophy called effective altruism, which posits that accruing as much money as possible in order to give away in the most efficient way possible is a moral good. I, I was thinking a lot about, you know, bed nets and malaria, about you know, saving people from diseases no one should die from, um, about animal welfare, about pandemic prevention, those things I think matter. And, and, and they're, you know, among the most important things to me. It was really popular with quite a lot of people in Silicon Valley. Uh, Sam Altman, the founder of OpenAI, uh, has said that he believes in it. Now I would say it has fallen quite far out of favor because of its close association with Sam Bankman-Fried. But it does seem like he was in it for the money. At least, he said, in order to give it away, he did give $100 million in political contributions, although that's not exactly altruistic. He wanted to write crypto regulation. Uh, thank you, Chair Waters, Ranking Member McHenry, and all the members of the committee for having me here today to testify. Um, it's an, an honor to be here. Really often, he would go to Congress in Washington, D.C. and testify in these public hearings about cryptocurrency, where members of the U.S. Congress would ask him questions about how cryptocurrency worked, what FTX was. Now, you're the fourth largest individual donor, essentially, to the midterms for this cycle. You are on a list that includes George Soros, Ken Griffin, Richard Ulene, Peter Thiel, just below you. Why did you decide it was politics and not something more charitable? to throw, spend your money on. It's likely that he would have had the ear of lawmakers who were going to pen crypto regulation, which is sort of a chilling thing to think about now. At its height, how big and how dominant was FTX in the crypto world? FTX was one of the biggest crypto exchanges in the world, was kind of vying for the spot of the biggest exchange with the most money. And that eventually played into its downfall. So let's talk about its downfall. It begins in November 2022. What happens and how far-reaching are the consequences? Yeah, so crypto as a whole, as a market, was crashing at the time. And Alameda Research, the hedge fund associated with FTX, found that most of its assets didn't mean much, weren't worth a lot of money. And it couldn't pay back its loans. And so what Bankman-Fried decided to do was use money from FTX customers to pay back those loans or try to. And that's billions and billions of dollars. And you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. That is embezzlement. And then as the market is crashing, FTX customers are simultaneously saying, give us back our money. We are nervous. And At that point, it's a classic bank run. It is crypto, it's this newfangled technology, but it is a bank run. And FTX doesn't have the money 
to get back to them, despite at the time Bankman Freed tweeted that FTX customers would be fine if the company had enough money to, to make them whole, so to speak, to give them back their money. And it didn't. And that's bankruptcy. Cryptocurrency exchange FTX filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy today. Went from a $32 billion company to bankruptcy in the matter of just four days or so. Founder and CEO Sam Bankman-Fried has announced his official resignation. So it appears that he's using money from one of his companies, FTX, to fill a financial hole in another, Alameda, and that looks pretty suspicious. And even when you account for that, there were still reports that there was $8 billion missing somewhere in this process. He did tell investors that, and he would be extremely grateful, he asked investors, if they would step in and help fill this hole. It's an $8 billion hole in FTX's balance sheet. So when does it become clear that what's going on here may not just be a failed business, a bankruptcy, but actually a pretty serious crime? After FTX collapses and can't pay back its customers... Questions come back around that $8 billion hole that was initially reported. Like, well, what happened there? What's happening with Alameda Research? And then regulators start circling. And eventually, in December 2022, kind of the entire crypto community is asking what is going on. Sam Bankman-Fried joins us right now, live from the Bahamas. Sam, I want to thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon. And Bankman-Fried starts to go on a media tour, gives interviews in the most ill-advised way possible. Yeah, look, thanks for having me. And um, and at the end of the day, I, I was CEO of FTX. And that means whatever happened, whatever it happened, I had a duty. I had a duty to all of our stakeholders, to our customers, uh, our creditors. I had a duty to our employees, to our investors, and, and to the regulators of the world. Uh, to do right by them, to make sure the right things happened at the company. And uh, clearly, I didn't do a good job of that. Um, Then he gets arrested in December 2022. He was supposed to testify before Congress again. Unbelievable. What is he charged with? He's charged with seven counts of wire fraud and conspiracy to launder money. Wire fraud is this very bureaucratic name for a crime that carries a really heavy sentence. It's decades in prison. And basically with just using customer funds for his own ends is the kind of simplest way to describe the crime. And his own ends were A-list celebrity endorsements, the investments that Alameda Research was making, that Bahamas penthouse, private jets, anything he wanted, but it's other people's money. So the most responsible person in the crypto world is suddenly accused of fraud. In the crypto world, is there any backlash against him? We did see a really strong backlash against him, especially when he hadn't yet been arrested and a lot of members of the crypto community had lost a lot of money. They were saying, he's a criminal. Why hasn't he been charged yet? Why is he still walking free? They were angry at him and at regulators, saying, what is this criminal still doing on the streets? And Bankman Freed at the time and through kind of the rest of his time, has said, I'm innocent, we didn't do anything wrong, I always did what I thought was right. Sam Bankman-Fried's criminal fraud trial begins in Lower Manhattan tomorrow. The 31-year-old disgraced crypto executive has pleaded not guilty to seven counts of fraud and conspiracy. Almost a year after the collapse of his crypto empire, proceedings against Bankman-Fried began in a New York federal court this October. How high profile was this trial? I mean, to me, a tech editor, it is extremely high profile. It's a huge deal. The stakes are high. He's a billionaire and he's on trial, or he was anyway. 
One of the things that stood out about this trial over the past month is how that tight-knit group of friends who all lived together in the house in the Bahamas has fallen apart so dramatically. And in fact, many of Bankman-Fried's former colleagues and associates were the same people who were testifying against him in the trial. How did that happen? And, and what did those witnesses have to say? Those witnesses were the centerpiece of the prosecution, especially his ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison. Another day of testimony from the highest-ranking executive in Sam Bankman-Fried's inner circle, Caroline Ellison. And She's headed back to the stand today. I was down there with you. I saw it. It was, it was like the Super Bowl of this case. It really was, Andrew. There was perhaps like no other person better positioned to give the details of what actually happened. Because in all of these interviews, in this media tour that Bankman-Fried was giving after the collapse of FTX, he was saying, we did the right thing. The exchange actually still has enough money and assets to give people back their money. And just trying to paper over what had happened. And Ellison, within minutes of getting on the stand, was asked, did you commit crimes? And she said, yes, I committed fraud at the direction of Sam Bankman-Fried. And all of them turned on him. They copped plea deals. They cooperated with the prosecution in exchange for testifying against Bankman-Fried. And they all pleaded guilty to wire fraud, to conspiracy, to launder money these financial crimes and said they were sorry, they apologized for what had happened and said they knew what they had done was wrong. It was this dramatic turnaround that threw into relief really strongly Bankman Freed's maintaining of his innocence and his plea of not guilty. Did we get any sense of how Bankman Freed felt watching his former girlfriend, watching his former friends give this kind of damning testimony? Any sense of how that affected him? So we have a little bit. At one point during testimony, the high point of the trial emotionally, Caroline Ellison is on the stand, his ex-girlfriend, his business partner, she is crying, like talking about what has happened to her and what she's done. And after her testimony is over, or at a certain section is over, the prosecution talks to the judge in a sidebar and accuses Bankman Freed of scoffing and laughing mm. at her testimony and kind of gesturally intimidating the witness. The defense said, that is ridiculous. My client is not doing this. I mean, this is federal court in the United States. It's a very serious place. The judge says, there will be no witness intimidation in my court. Bankman Freed certainly has a history of witness intimidation. He leaked documents related to Caroline Ellison to the press. Her diary was published in the New York Times, hmm. and that got his bail revoked, and he was incarcerated before the trial. So there is a history of that. He doesn't really get penalized for this scoffing and laughing, but we do have a little bit of a sense of his reaction there. What kind of things did his former friends, now testifying against him, tell the court? Yeah, so Gary Wang offered some pretty interesting testimony. An FTX co-founder, he was like one of the technical people involved in the architecture of FTX and Alameda Research. And he said that he was responsible for coding in what had came to be known as like a backdoor from Alameda to FTX, which allowed Alameda to borrow as much money as possible from FTX and essentially use it as a piggy bank. And so he was saying this was hard-coded into the architecture of these two companies and the code that connected them. Well, so, I mean, the fraud that he's being accused of, it's not just happening in whispers or backroom conversations. It's right there in the code of the company. 
Yeah, and that was one of the most damning things that these um, close associates said on the stand. I mean, they all accused him of fraud. They all said, we committed fraud with him at his direction. He was in charge. That was the, the thing they said in unison, laying the blame right at his feet. And then they would give these examples of Caroline Ellison said she falsified balance sheets to show the investors of Alameda Research to make it seem like a less risky company and that she did so because Bankman-Fried told her so. It's sort of like comically obvious fraud. Like cryptocurrency is extremely complicated in the way that it technologically works. And then what these people were doing at least the way that they described it on the witness stand, was so simple and obvious that it was kind of fun. The contrast made me laugh. You know we're covering this story. Disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried took the stand today in his criminal fraud trial. He could As part of this trial, Bankman-Fried took a decision that's usually seen as pretty risky, which is to take the stand himself and testify. How did that go for him? I would not, I mean, we know now it didn't go well. What we were all waiting for was the start of the cross-examination, which happened today. And? It was a bloodbath. It didn't really turn out in his favor. It is, like you were saying, a really risky gamble to take. I think it was in response to the damning testimony that his associates had given. I mean, there wasn't a lot of evidence that he had that he could give to counter all the things that they had said the damning testimony that they had given over and over and over in all of these different ways. And so I think he took the stand as sort of this last-ditch 11th-hour effort to make himself seem he's to the jury like he's a real person. Mm. And then the cross-examination happened, and it did not go very well for him. Tell me about it. I mean, the prosecutors just got him over and over and over. Like I said, he went on this media tour after the collapse of FTX, and one thing about giving on-the-record statements is that other people have them, including the prosecution. He was asked a lot about his image in the cross-examination of, well, why do you wear cargo shorts and T-shirts and never cut your hair? And he said, well, I was busy and lazy. And then the prosecution brought up a New York Times article and said, do you remember saying, uh, it's important that I look crazy? It's better for the brand that I don't cut my hair. Uh, and he said, I don't recall, or I vaguely recall. He repeated the phrase, I don't recall, more than 100 times on the stand. So Sam Beckman-Fried, he's back on the witness stand as we speak. Yesterday, he did seem aggravated at points, dodging questions. The judge scolded him at times for not answering questions directly. That just doesn't make you look good as the CEO of a company who's supposed to know what's going on. It's interesting because, you know, you painted a picture of someone who was so persuasive, who was able to win over investors, colleagues, some of the most powerful regulators in the US, and his last-ditch effort is trying to win over the jury, and it doesn't go well. No, it really doesn't. That charm, that confidence, that assurance just wasn't there in the end. It sort of withered. I mean, he even cut his hair for the trial. Like, it was that was clearly something he believed in when CEO of FTX, and then at trial, he cut it and kind of wasn't committed to the bit anymore. And that doesn't seem so good either. So, Blake, the jury reached their verdict after just four hours of deliberation, which is incredible given how complicated the trial was. Why do you think they were so certain so quickly that Sam Beckman-Fried was guilty? I think the testimony from his close associates was overwhelming. They testified over multiple days. They had details. They were persuasive. And 
his testimony just didn't measure up in the same way. The prosecution in its closing argument said he had a lot to say when he was talking to his own lawyer. And then when we started talking to him, he didn't recall and could not answer our questions. And it just seemed like the evidence was overwhelming and kind of crushed him under the weight. And the jury said, we know what we believe. He was reaction-less, standing stoically as the floor person read the jury's decision. Guilty on all seven counts, one by one, unanimous decisions. Um, I have the, the... Coming up, what the downfall of Sam Bankman-Fried means for cryptocurrency. 
It's sort of unclear. I mean, the company is, it's suing Sam Bankman-Fried's parents to try and get their salary money back. They were on FTX payroll. The company's asked for political donations back from U.S. politicians. It's trying to claw back as much money as possible. But I don't think any of these people will see their money very soon, if at all. The company is tied up in bankruptcy proceedings for the foreseeable future. Like, finally, Sam Bankman-Fried was like the poster boy for the way crypto could be done properly. And then all of a sudden, crypto's biggest currencies crash and that poster boy is arrested and now he's convicted of fraud. So maybe that's the end of Sam Bankman-Fried's story. But what does it all mean for the story of crypto? It's... It's so interesting and complicated. Like Bitcoin is trading up 100% from the start of this year. And yet its greatest champion is going to jail for fraud. I do think Bitcoin and cryptocurrency will keep going. Like people will still keep trading them and buying them and selling them. But I think people will be wary of crypto as a business for a long time, given that the safest exchange in cryptocurrency was revealed to be a massive fraud. That said, crypto is also on the verge of this like major regulatory win to be included in exchange-traded funds, like traded alongside stocks like Apple. And that would be a huge win for the legitimacy of cryptocurrency. So it, it may persist as a security. Do you think the kind of fraud that we saw Sam Bankman-Fried pull off is a feature of this industry, or is it a bug? (laughs) It's certainly been a huge part of this industry. There have certainly been quite a lot of fraudsters and nefarious actors attracted to the unregulated and kind of decentralized nature of cryptocurrency. So... Whatever I think about it, they like it. Well, Blake, thanks for coming and telling us about it. Thanks for having me. That was The Guardian's US tech editor, Blake Montgomery. You can find all our reporting on the rise and fall of Sam Bankman-Fried at theguardian.com, where you can also sign up to our weekly newsletter, Techscape, where UK tech editor Alex Hearn dives into the world of technology and how it shapes our lives. And that is it for today. I'm Michael Safi, and this episode was produced by Natalie Ktena and Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Adam Bransbury. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back with you tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.